0: Well what's up church? Good morning. We're grateful to have you this morning. Uh, this uh, week I was reading a story about three dads that were in a waiting room uh, awaiting the arrival of their uh, newborn children. And uh, the nurse came out and she exclaimed hey, uh, hey there's a child that's born and she points to the dad and she said you've had twins. And he goes wow that's awesome. He goes that's crazy because I work for the Minnesota Twins. And uh, he put a little connection together and they celebrated and about 45 minutes later, another nurse comes out, and she goes, uh, Hey, Dad, you, it's an amazing thing. You've had triplets. And he goes, Oh, my goodness, how crazy is that? I mean, I work for 3M. And uh, another coincidence right there in the room, and uh, all of a sudden, you've got another dad, and he's kind of looking around. He begins to turn pale. He lays himself out on the floor. And they're like, Are you okay? Are you like, you okay? And he goes, No, I'm not doing well. I work for 7-Eleven Corporation. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about kiddos, and uh, today might be the most useful information for parents that you'll have all of 2020. Uh, We've had many challenges already this year, uh, from COVID virus to election cycle to so many things, and I'm not sure that any of those actually pale in comparison to this thing thing, uh, called parenting. Parenting may be one of the most difficult challenges of our entire life. And uh, today, I think there is some useful information. At the very least, you can do what I did, and I shared this verse with my kiddos uh, this week. Uh, One of them kind of shaped up pretty quickly. One of them gave me this uh, blank face, and another one started crying, and... uh, It all is happening in Proverbs chapter 30. So in Proverbs chapter 30, you've got this guy named Agur who has uh, given us incredible insight and wisdom as to a variety of different things. He's talked to us about what it looks like to live in truth, to build our lives on the firm foundation, to not get caught up in some of the snares and the traps of this world. Uh, In one of the warnings that we had a couple of weeks ago, previous to our baptism celebration weekend, we read these words in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 15 and 16. And these are the words that Agur wrote around the the, uh, idea of greed. And this is what he says in verse 15. He says, The leech has two daughters, give and give, three things that are never satisfied, four never say enough, Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water and the fire that never says enough. And we spend a great deal talking about what it looks like uh, in our lives to be greedy and to never really be satisfied. And that oftentimes happens when we aren't content with what the Lord has given to us or entrusted to our care. But in verse 17, uh, Agur continues on and he gives a warning uh, perhaps to children uh, that is more severe than even that of verses 15 and 16 that he would give to a greedy person. And this is what it says in Proverbs 30, verse 17. I encourage you to go today and print it out and put it on your door, the doors of your kids' uh, rooms. It will be a blessing to you all. This is what it says in verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Uh, in one version, it says, "...will be plucked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures." Uh, put that on their, their doors and say, "...hey boy, don't disobey me anymore, or I'm going to take you outside and let the vultures have their way with you." Uh, when you read this, uh, you see that Agur is, in a sense, giving us a proverb on what it looks like when we are not wise in obeying our parents. Uh, that we should honor them simply because they have given us physical life. Obviously, all life is a gift from God, but there is a physical means in which we uh, have our life because of two individuals who chose to, in a sense, procreate, and we now have life. And for that reason, Eger goes, Listen, we ought to not be foolish and not be thankful for the life we have that was given to us by our parents. And so he gives this graphic description uh, and he basically just visualizes for us the consequences of disobeying. That there is foolishness that leads to death. And, And he in many ways tries to wrap this up by that one verse. And I think what he's trying to help us see is what other Proverbs are telling us. For instance, Proverbs 17 verse 25 says these words, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. That foolishness within a child actually does bring a level of bitterness to to their parents. Proverbs 29 verse 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. That when we are obstinate, when we don't learn, that we, in a sense, bring uh, shame to our parents and our foolishness. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6. He's going to share more uh, in verses 1 through 4. But in verse 1, it just simply says this, Children, obey your parents, for this is right. And then in uh, Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes to the church of Colossae, and he says this, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. What Agur and the Proverbs and Paul are all trying to say is simply that obedient children end up having a long life. and it's not uh, because this is the first command with a promise, though we'll see that in a few moments. But the idea is is that all foolishness leads to death. And when we make wise decision, it, it brings about life and purpose and meaning. And we as individuals get to choose whether or not we're going to walk in our own uh, set of rules and our ideas, or we get to choose to submit ourselves to some authority in our lives but here's what you need to realize and think what agar is trying to say is that fools despise instruction that leads to godly character so fools despise instruction if you wanted to replace the word instruction with the word authority you could do that fools despise authority if you wanted to say uh, instead of instruction or authority maybe you wanted to put the word in there as correction fools despise correction The idea is is that foolish people do not like a counsel of wisdom. Uh, They don't like biblical admonishment. They like, in a sense, to be left alone to do what's right in their own eyes. The Proverbs consistently say this, not only about children, but about us as individuals, that that is mere foolishness. Matter of fact, the Proverbs go on and speak just to those of us as individuals who despise reproof. And Proverbs 12, 1 says this, Whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I mean, he just says very plainly, if you, if you hate correction, hate authority, hate instruction, he goes, you're stupid. Reproof is a good thing for those who love it. One chapter over in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 1, it says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, But a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. So again, there it is. A wise son hears correction, um, receives admonishment, um, loves to be corrected, welcomes authority, simply because they realize that in and of themselves, they're going to probably make foolish decisions. So in some ways, they welcome coaching, they welcome teaching. They welcome admonishment. But a scoffer, uh, in a sense, uh, a scoffer is the idea of one who puts his nose up in the air, who's above correction. You see arrogance. You see folly in their lives. Uh, In some ways, they have a condescending (sighs) huff about themselves. And I'm sure we see that not only in our children sometimes. Maybe we see it in our own lives. Uh, Potentially, we see it in those that we work with or live with. But the reality is, is that fools despise instruction. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 5 says it this way, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. So you see all these scriptures that just remind us that if we are going to be what God intends us to be, if He's going to save us from being eaten uh, in the valley by the vultures, Then he goes, you need to make sure that you listen to reproof and correction. Matter of fact, when Agur uses that word um, there, uh, or that verse, the the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey his mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. What he's simply saying is, is it's going to save you from lots of pain, lots of destruction, and even death. He goes, when you listen to those who give you a life plan that leads to purpose. And that's what his point is. And the way that happens is if we give about, as parents, instruction that leads to godly character and our children don't despise it. And the question is, is why do our children despise godly character? Um, why do they despise authority and correction? And I would say um, it really becomes mostly built because of their sinful rebellion and their heart. But I would also say that in many cases, this is a learned trait. It is something that they see even in us as their parents. The reality is, is that we ought to all love instruction, reproof, correction, and authority that leads to life and godly character. Which brings us to what I think Eger is trying to point out in all of this chapter, and that is that godly character is the goal. Like that's what Ager's whole point is, like is godly character the goal. Whether he's talking about a life built on the firm rock of the foundation of Jesus Christ, whether he's talking about living in truth rather than being caught up in falsehood and lies, whether he's talking about being content or not being ensnared by greed, or whether he's talking about parenting or obedient children, the point of all of this chapter, and even as we continue to flesh this out over the next handful of weeks, what Ager is trying to help us see is that godly people is the goal. Godly character is the goal. And I, I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 6 as Paul writes um, to the church in Ephesus. A second ago, I read you Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1, but I want to go ahead and share a little bit further all the way to verse 4. This is what Paul writes. He says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So we see that. Oh, children have a responsibility to heed their parents' wisdom and instruction and insight and authority. They are to welcome correction. They are to welcome admonishment. That's true. But look at verse 2. He goes, Honor your father and mother, for this is the commandment. This is the first commandment with a promise, which is simply what I think Agar is trying to point out is that when you um, don't give in to foolishness and you heed the instruction, the wisdom of those that love you, he goes, it's going to go well for you. And that's what he says in verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live a long Uh, life in the land, so that you would live a long and prosperous life. Now when you read this, I think you can easily be confused with this statement that uh, if I honor my father and my mother, that God promises that I'll have a long life. And I don't think that's what it means. I think what it means is, is that there's a likelihood that when you heed the reproof, the correction, and the admonishment of people who love you, there's a great chance that your eyes won't be plucked out by the ravens and eaten by the vultures. There's a great chance that you won't find yourself in a valley that leads to death, but that you will find yourself walking in prudence, in wisdom, and with the idea of foresight to know that there is a way that leads to life. And that's the idea. And here's the deal. In hindsight, if hindsight is twenty twenty, 20 there are many of us, that, if we look back over our life, we can see the times that we despised our parents' instruction, that we huffed and puffed and, uh, in a sense, through ten- temper tantrums because of what they desired for us. And yet we see that our decisions brought about foolishness. And there have been many of us, because of the pangs and the destruction of our life, we would have rather been eaten by the vultures. And I think that is what Paul is trying to say here. I think that's what Ager's trying to say. I think that's what the Old Testament writers are trying to say, is that it's, it's wise for us to obey our parents, not only because it pleases the Lord and because it's right, but because it leads to life and joy and satisfaction and peace. And it keeps us from some of the pain that we have that's brought upon ourselves because of our own foolishness. Paul goes on and says this in verse 4. He says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I think as he thinks about laying this out, there is obviously a responsibility on our children to be obedient. There is a responsibility for them to heed and, and to actually follow through with the care and the correction that they receive. But then Paul lays out in verse four, something that is very difficult for us as parents. And that is how we bring about knowledge to our children. And he says, don't exasperate your children to anger. Meaning that the way we instruct them, the way that we pass on knowledge to them is just as important as the things that they are to receive from us. And we oftentimes wonder, well, why is it that our kids don't do something? Why don't they change? Why, why are they continue to act in this way? And I'm not sure sometimes that we don't get in our own way. That as parents, it's the way that we go about teaching and caring and correcting, that our motivation is not always loving, that it's always kind, and it's not always the motivation that would inspire or bring about godly character. The reality is, is if your kids can't see godly character in the way you discipline, what believes you to think that they're going to respond in a way that brings about authority, correction, and reproof in their own life? Like, you you can't tell your kids to uh, be correcting course while you're demeaning and yelling and ridiculing them. That's not the way that the Lord handles grace towards us, and it's not the way that we are meant to handle it towards our kids, or potentially even our grandkids or whatever authority that we have in our life. Think about even in the context of just us being in a journey group of people. I mean, we can demean uh, someone, we can attack them, and we can yell at them, and we can ridicule and scorn them. And the question is, is how do you think they're going to respond? They're going to respond the same way I'm tempted to respond, and that's in my flesh. And I'm liable to come right back at you. I'm not going to hear care. I'm not going to hear reproof. I'm not going to hear correction, even if you're right, simply because the way you approached it was wrong. And church, I think that is what Paul is trying to say when he says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Meaning, if you want godly character to be the goal, then you have to discipline with godly character in mind. Let me say that one more time. If godly character is the goal, then you have to discipline with godly character in mind. Let me say it one more time. Are you listening, baby? If godly character is the goal, you have to discipline with godly character in mind which he leads on, and he says, what is it? He goes, to bring them up, up into discipline and instruction in the Lord, which are two totally different things, because there's discipline and instruction. And so if godly character is the goal, here's a couple of things we've got to be thinking of, church. Number one is we've got to be thinking that we've got to be sharing about what God has done. That, that's, the, in a sense, the instruction of the Lord that we see in verse 4. So what has God done? God has done an amazing thing in our life. As parents who are believers, uh, we know that we have been satisfied by his, by his grace, that His provision of His Son's death on the cross has given us life. We deserve death because of our foolishness, because of our sin, Romans three twenty three Romans 6, 23, but God in His graciousness, He loved us enough, Romans 5, 8, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that He cares for us, and that he has given us the ability to be reconciled, 2 Thessalonians 5, 17-21, to a God who loves us. And that's an incredible gift, and that's what we want to pass on as an inheritance to our children. We want them to know that, in the essence, it is the Lord that we want them to follow, not our own strict adherence to, to rules or a military-like lifestyle. But we want them to see and taste and know the goodness of our great God. Matter of fact, I think Proverbs 1.7 tells us really what we want in our children. And that is for them to fear the Lord. Because he is the beginning of knowledge. Yet fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We want, them to, we want to teach them to fear the Lord. But not in a, um, a raven plucking our eyes out and vultures eating in the valley sort of way. I don't think that that's what he means here. I don't think that we are to see God as a condemning God who's willing to strike us us at a moment's notice. Uh, Obviously, uh, we can read parts of the Scripture, and if we don't see the whole Bible in context, we could pluck a couple of things out, like this particular verse, and we could pin it on our kids' doors, and we could go, Hey, son, you better ship up, or... Uh, or shape up or I'm going to ship you out, right? I mean, we could think about it and we could put enough verses in, out of context that we could, in a sense, help our children fear the Lord. But the reality is, is the fear of the Lord is a heart that is broken and contrite and simply says, I acknowledge the error of my way. And I know that there's something better. And that the Lord is the one who provides that. And, and friends, this is what we want our children to. To know. Now, here's what I would tell you is that while we want our kids to learn godly character, it's impossible for us as parents, it's impossible for us as journey group leaders, it's impossible for us as bosses in the workplace, it's impossible for us to make anyone learn. We cannot make anyone learn. I can't make my children do these things. I can't, I can't grasp them in by the coattails of my profession. I can't choose those things for them. What I can do is make sure that I maintain my responsibility to instruct, to teach. And that's what verse 4 really means. That if our children are going to obey, then I've got to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. And I'm going to be accountable to the Lord for my instruction. Am I diligent to instruct? Am I diligent to show the grace of God and am I diligent to point my children to the things of the Lord? And we see clear passages in the scripture that we are to do that. Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 6, Psalm 78. There's multiple passages all throughout our scriptures that remind us of what it looks like to instruct our children. That we should do it when they sit, or when they rise, or when they come, or when they go. We should write it on the tablets of, our, of, of their hearts. We should put it on our gates, on our doorposts. We should put it on our doors. Like The reality is, is there is an obligation for us to instruct our children, and our grandchildren. If our kids are going to, in a sense, walk the ways of godly character, there's a responsibility to us as parents to lead them down the path. And the question is, How many of our children or our grandchildren have walked down treacherous paths, have had their eyes plucked out by the ravens and their lives eaten by the vultures simply because we didn't heed to the discipline and the instruction of the godly counsel of what it looked like to teach our children the instruction of the Lord. And I think if we were to poll each person, I think many of us would say, man, I feel that. And like there's even deep parts of our heart that we acknowledge that there are areas that we wish we could do differently. In retrospect, if hindsight was 2020, we would go back and we would change things, wouldn't we? Like we would do things differently, because we know that in many ways that what we did uh, could about in some ways brought about some of the pain, or in some ways we oftentimes take an unnecessary burden and we place it on ourselves in the midst of those challenges. But here's what I would tell you, friends: is this, is that it's not too late to continue to share what God has done. Because listen, if if maybe you came to know the Lord later in life. I think about our baptism celebration that we just were a part of and that we just showed you guys. There's many people that have come to faith in Christ later in life. There's many of us that we have learned the error of foolishness and folly and we didn't heed admonishment or instruction or authority uh, because we like to be the boss of our own life. But now you have a story to share. And listen, if your kids are in their 40s, it's not too late to give them evidence and hope of Jesus Christ. If you are in your 60s, it is not too late for you to learn authority and correction and admonishment and reproof. It is a message for all of us that we would grow in the instruction of the Lord. And sometimes that happens not just by our instruction, but Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 4, but also through discipline. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky. I want to read Proverbs 23 verses 13 and 14 as we kind of set our time as we think about discipline real quick. This is what the Old Testament would say. It says, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Now, I know that as we read this particular verse, um, we can get caught up on a couple of things. I think the first one that I tend to get caught up on is striking a kid with a rod. I'm like, sounds great, right? For others of us in this room, we're like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. What what is a rod? And and what does that even even mean? Like, what, what does that instruction look like? And listen, depending on where we come from depends on the context of this verse and how we receive it. Because we live in a culture right now that um, many of us view discipline in lots of different ways. Uh, many of us think about discipline in in ways that, uh, in some ways, you you might have the validity validity of a, a spanking to bring about general. Uh, gentle correction, and you might go, well, that doesn't seem like gentle correction. Uh, others of you uh, would say, hey, we don't, we don't do that. We, we do timeouts, or we put kids in corners, or we take things away from them. Maybe you do a, a grounding of some sort. There's lots of different theories on that. Listen, here's what the verse means, and I think this is what you should apply more than anything, is that discipline has the opportunity to save our children from Sheol, meaning The pit of hell or death or destruction. The reality is this, is that in our adherent nature, we are heading down a path of destruction because of our moral calamity. We are morally wretched. We are far from God and left to our own devices. We are going to die. We are going to have our eyes plucked out by the ravens, eaten by the vultures, and we are going to die in the Valley of Gehenna. The valley of death, Sheol. And without godly reproof, instruction, correction, with godly character is the goal, we are going to lead our kids off into an abyss in which they bring about death and destruction. And so here's what I want you to understand. The focus is not on the form of discipline as much as it on the function of discipline. Let me say that one more time because Edgewood, y'all with me? It's not on the form of discipline as much as the function of discipline. And discipline only functions when you meet these five qualifications. These are the qualifications. I want to remind you of Hebrews 12 before I show you these five, but they're all found in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 is a passage that reminds us as a believer that God loves us. And the way that, that the writer of Hebrews attributes God's love to us through discipline is the way that our parents disciplined us. And what I want you to realize is, is as he reads this, there are a couple of things in here that are absolute gold. And you can go back and read them, and I encourage you to, because I want you to realize that as The writer of Hebrews, uh, an unknown person and source, as he writes this, he is helping us realize that our instruction and our discipline as parents is never supposed to be perfect. There is not a perfect discipline plan. What you do or what we do in our home is already broken and fallible because it's coming from broken and fallible people. The plan is not perfect and it's not to be perfect. But what it is to do is to be a representation of the one who is perfect and who loves us and who is gently correcting us so we too don't live in the valley of Gehenna that leads to death. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 12 verses 4 through 11. He goes, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So he goes, you are sinful and wretched and you you have not given yourself over to Christ and the cross enough that you've actually died for anything. And then in verse 5, he goes, and you've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. He goes, you even forget what it looks like to just be an heir of the throne of grace, to be an heir of God, a child. And then he says this, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. He goes, you need to realize that when the Lord disciplines people, he, he disciplines them for a reason. And one, one of the reasons he says right here, he goes, because you're sons. So he goes, he's addressing you as sons. And when he disciplines you, he goes, you shouldn't just kind of casually throw that off. He goes, lean into that because it's going to show you something. And then he lays out what it is. He goes, verse six, for the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure, for God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline and which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and you are not sons. What does it say about us? Verse nine goes on, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of the spirits and live? For they, meaning our parents, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them but he disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. For the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now here's what he's trying to help us see. He really five quick things and I'm not gonna unpack them for you, but I want you to see them. He Number one tells us that discipline is a reminder to children that they are loved. Verses six and seven. So discipline, when we do it, not necessarily show the form, but the function of discipline, it shows children they are loved. Now, they're going to have a hard time seeing it where they are, but it is a reminder to them that you love them. Why? Because all discipline should, in a sense, possess the quality of godly character, and godly character is what's producing us the goal of righteousness. It comes from love. And so all of our discipline ought to remind children that they are loved. If your discipline is done out of anger, out of a condescending nature, then you're exasperating your children. You are not loving them well. If you beat your children, you are not loving them. If you do it in anger, in jest, or for any purpose to bring pain rather than good, you are not loving them well. And you should repent, and you should start with your children by seeking their forgiveness. It is not okay for us to believe that we're going to bring our children life when we discipline them with forms of death. So we have to be wise. It doesn't mean that the form of discipline that you're using is wrong. It means that the purpose and even sometimes the way you do it may not be right. So you've got to bring that to heart. Make sure that they're loved in the discipline. Which means I never discipline our children without me being able to have some cool down time. And I never do it in anger. So it may take me a little while to get my composure. There is going to be a consequence. They know clearly what it's going to be. I don't do it in front of other people to ridicule them. Uh, My goal is not to to crush their spirit. My goal is to help them see godly discipline. And it's hard. But that's the goal. Discipline, number two, is for the good of our children. Verse 10, it's not to to be done in anger or with physical lasting effects. It's purposeful. It's done for their good. It's incredible that verse 10 just tells us that God disciplined us for our good just as our parents did it. It's for our good. That's what discipline is for. Thirdly, discipline looks different for each person. That's what's incredible about verse 10. I love the fact that the writer said this, our parents disciplined us for a short time In the way that seems best to them. Like what's crazy is is that not every single way is the right way. There's not this purposeful way that if you do it this way, it leads to life. It it may not be a rod. It may be a corner. It may be a timeout. It may be withdrawing time from friends or screens or whatever consequence. The The idea is that it's done in love. It's for their good and it's very purposeful. That's the idea. And it looks different for all of us. Now, here's what you also need to know is that if discipline is not painful in the moment, then it's not discipline. If you're taking something from them that is not painful, then guess what? It's not discipline because all discipline is painful. That's the number four thing that you need to realize. It's all painful. Verse 11 says, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That's why it's discipline. Now, it it could be in the form of a rod or it could be in the form of a hunting trip Probably one of the hardest things that I've done as a parent is not allow my son to shoot his first deer. Left an entire weekend off the table. It was one of the most hard and difficult things for me to do as a parent. But the reality is is the way I loved my my son best. And it was hard. It was incredibly hard because it was something we had anticipated and we had talked about. It was difficult. But it was the right thing to do. And it was very hard. It was painful for him. And friends, it was equally as painful for me although that's not how he saw it in the moment, right? Listen, Proverbs twenty seven seventeen: as one man sharpens another, or as iron sharpens iron, so as one man sharpens another. Listen, can I just tell you that as we sharpen one another, whether it be our children or each other, it's always painful. One of the questions that we're asking journey groups in the moment right now is, hey, do you have any conflict in our group? And when groups say, no, there's no conflict, then what we would say is, well, your group's not healthy. Let me say it one more time if there's no conflict in your group, your group is not healthy. Because the way we oftentimes learn and we, we, we are in some ways disciplined one another is through conflict. It's iron sharpening iron. It is metal meeting metal. It is painful. There are sparks that fly. There is heat that is shown. But the reality is it's coming back together and saying, hey, I know it's painful in the moment, but will you trust me that all of my purpose is to bring life. See, discipline brings life. Friends, that's the goal. Understand? It's to bring life. It's to save our children from the valley of death where the vultures love to pray. And I will just tell you the way that that happens best is not just about uh wisdom and instruction and godly character. Listen, can I just tell you here's here's the point and this is one you better lean into as we close? is that the number three thing that you need to know, and and listen, at this one, this is the most important thing I'll say today. The goal of our parenting is not behavior modification, but it's soul transformation. Understand? Our goal is not to, to beat our kids in submission so they don't embarrass you at the Dairy Queen so that they don't make a mockery of you at a a birthday party. That's not the goal. And that's what we think the goal is, is if we raise good, moral, upright kids who say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir, and no, sir, and they never give us any problems, then in some ways we've done well with ourselves. But listen, can I just tell you that's not the goal. The goal is soul transformation. The goal is for them to see the Lord, to know the Lord, and to walk in His ways. Psalm 78, and I'll close with this, verses 5 through 8, says this, He, meaning God, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise, and they would tell them to their children, so that, and here's the key, they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. They should not be like their fathers, the stubborn and rebellious generation. Does that ever happen? A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Listen, friends, our goal is not to make them something in the church they're not intended to be. It's not to keep them from running in the aisles. It's not to keep them from yelling in the hallways. The goal is is to trust the Lord with kiddos. We give them correction, reproof, gentle admonishment in order that the godly character would be produced in them as perseverance grows and as God fills them with his spirit by his salvation and his grace alone through their faith alone, that they would set their eyes on Christ and they would know the hope of the world. And friends, I'll tell you that if that doesn't happen in my kids' lives, it doesn't matter how good of a parent I am, because I am still in desperate need and pray for daily God's intervention in the souls of our kids. And if that doesn't happen, then what we have are children who are good, they make good grades, they're morally kind, they love their friends, we get compliments on them all the time. But listen, that is not enough. They need the gospel. And I believe that this is the life-giving faith family that will help share the gospel with them. And I thank you for partnering with me in the gospel. I thank you for loving my kids and not putting unhealthy expectations on them as pastor's kids, letting them grow up in a place where there is freedom and there is hope and there's not condemnation, that they can just be who they are until they meet the Lord. And I'm so thankful for that. And I pray that you and I would partner in the gospel together because listen, there are hundreds of kids Right now who need to know the life-giving hope of Christ in Van Zandt County. And their parents are not instructing them in the ways of the Lord. And we might be that gospel witness. Friends, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the, uh, the blessing uh, that there is to love you and serve you. And I pray, Father, that as we close and wrap up our time together, that you would help us to be an encouragement to each other. Uh, as Cody comes and just uh, prays uh, over us as he sends us out today, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to set our eyes and our mind on Christ Jesus. As Edgewood closes on their campus and as Dick comes and prays over them and encourages them, I pray that you would soften our hearts to the gospel truth. We love you
1: and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, amen, good good well, good morning again. But thank you, Brandon. and And just to wrap up, just a few nuggets that um, that I came away with and a few things that I just wrote down in the margin here is is godly character is the goal, but uh, toward the end there, it just struck me that the goal cannot be behavioral modification. If we're just simply, to, like he said, simply to modify behavior, we're going to miss everything. Uh, but it's soul transformation. But then the main takeaway for me that I wrote down is is that it is not too late, church. Parents, it is not too late. I'm 37 years old. My dad is 68, and he still can speak truth into my life uh, on spiritual matters and many other things as well, but it is, it's never too late. It's never too late for yourself. It's never too late for your kids because um, you have a voice. I would say on this earth, one of the main voices I have is my father's voice. And um, he can speak into things. So it's never too late. And, um, and I praise the Lord for that. Um, so I pray that we go out. And uh, we go out with that mindset. That it's never too late. That godly character is the goal. And uh, seek to be conformed to that image. And one last thing, parents, is you cannot give what you do not have. Um, if you are not... In his word, if you're not daily abiding, if you're not being grown by the Lord yourself, you cannot give that away to your kids. Um, It won't happen. So I'll pray that for you guys. So let's pray, and then we'll go. Lord, thank you for this morning once again. I thank you for your church. I thank you for these people here this morning. I pray for parents. Lord, I pray for their children. Lord, that just in those relationships, some of the closest relationships that they would have under heaven, Lord, that they would... um, Look to you for wisdom, for discernment, Lord, with how to discipline, um, with words to say and, and the, the means to use that would glorify you, Lord, and, and uh, would teach um, their children, Lord, to be, um, to be Christ-like, Lord. Uh, not to be like them, but they could say to their kids, imitate me as I imitate Christ, Lord. And if we can say that, Lord, we are doing um, doing enough, Lord, to trust you with the rest of it. And I just I pray that for us as we go from this place this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you, and it's in your name. Amen. Church, you have a great week of worship.